Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Amen. Well, in my house, I have been the primary gift wrapper in our home for the majority of my life. Before I was married, I wrapped most of the gifts for my parents. Pretty much the only ones I didn't wrap were the ones that were for me. And after we got married, I volunteered to do so, and it's kind of become my responsibility. And sometimes I even wrap a couple for myself. I'm a stickler that gifts ought to look right. If I wrap it, it's going to be right. It's going to look good. The corners are going to be crisp. The folds are accurate. The paper is straight. The seams are where they're supposed to be. It's not too much tape, but it's not, you know, just enough, right? You just, it looks good. My presents, I see them as little works of art. Now, I know within a few moments of them being presented, they will be destroyed. But there's something about the moment before, the recognition that someone took the time to wrap something so nicely. You don't know what's inside. It could be expensive or it could be from the goodwill. But the present looks like a piece of art. And in that moment, the mystery is worth the effort, at least for me. The other people, they don't give a rip. They're just thankful it's got paper on it. And while my presents are well put together, and they may look like small pieces of art, everything the way it's supposed to be, my present is rarely like that. Somebody said one time that yesterday is gone and tomorrow is not promised, but what we have is a gift, and that's today. And that's why they call it the present. The present that I present to others, it may look great, but my present is not nearly so neat. As a matter of fact, my present sometimes can be quite messy because life is really not perfect, is it? Real life gets really chaotic and sloppy and filled with struggles and gaffes and stumbles and redos and so many times... It's just messy. I know what it looks like on Instagram. On Instagram, we can present the perfect moment, the prepackaged gift, the perfectly laid out scene, the moment when the lighting shone through our hair at the perfect angle, cascading over our cheeks in just the right shade. We caught our freshly made dinner as the steam was wafting up off of the perfectly plated meal. It's all about the presentation on Instagram. But life is about the present. And on Instagram, you may see the perfectly plated meal and think, Davina has an amazing husband to make her that dinner. But you don't see the pile of dirty dishes that still have to be done. You don't hear me fussing because I cut my finger trying to slice the vegetables just right. And by the way, you only see what it looks like. You don't even get to find out if it tastes good or not. You only see the presentation. But my present isn't always so great. Sometimes, most of the times, life in the present is messy. And that's what I want to share with you today. The title of my message is Messy Present. Anyone else here today who can identify with me? Yeah, I know that I know what it's like to have a messy 
present. My life sometimes is a mess. Anybody agree with that? I'm struggling every day to keep it together, but life in my house, with my family, on my job, in my neighborhood, in my church, my life sometimes is messy. So I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible is filled with messy lives. See, a lot of times I think we think this is filled with like perfect people who had it all together, who did everything the right way, who they, go, they shout their praises and record their names in history books and say these are amazing people, and they are, but it's filled with messy stuff. God never shies away from the mess. He jumps right in and he makes, strives to make sense of the mess. For instance, in the Old Testament, our kids sing about Father Abraham and how he had many sons. But the truth was, for many years, he believed he'd have sons, lots of them, but he didn't have any. And when his wife couldn't seem to get pregnant, she encouraged him to have a child by another woman. And then his wife does get pregnant later, and as God promised that she would, and the resulting conflict continues to rage in the Middle East to this day. Messy. His son Isaac had two twin boys, and they fought even before they were born in the womb. And finally, as he's about to die, one son tricks the other with the help of his mother out of the intended blessing and birthright, and the hatred between the two continued for years and years to come. Messy. One of those boys, Jacob, fearing for his life, runs to his uncle's house where he begins to work for his uncle. He falls in love with his beautiful cousin, makes plans to marry her, but unfortunately she has an ugly older sister, and his uncle saw an opportunity to make sure the ugly sister got married too. It sounds like a fairy tale. So he switches the bride on Jacob's wedding day, and now he finds himself married to the woman he doesn't love and has to work for seven more years to get the one he does. So he married them both and had 12 men, male children by them and their maids. Messy. The Bible's filled with messy situations that God worked through to accomplish his plan, to demonstrate his power, to work in the lives of those who, while imperfect and while flawed and while broken and sometimes quite messed up, had a desire to love and to serve him. Which brings me to my text. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 4, and we'll start reading with verse 1. If you'd like, you can follow along on the screen. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift, everybody say gift, that God has for you here, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water 
that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Verse 15, she says, please, sir, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Everybody say, messy. This is always one of my favorite stories from the Bible. It's kind of just raw and real and just out there, right? It's just like confrontational a little bit. It's just Jesus digging into people's mess. Because I think, the reason I think it's one of my favorites is, the truth is, I think we all have more in common with this Samaritan woman than what we care to acknowledge now, somebody's out there going, I ain't got five husbands. I wouldn't know what to do with five husbands. And you're right, you don't. But you got five other things that you're dealing with. You got five other balls you're juggling in the air. You got five other piles of mess that you're dealing with. So let me show you what I mean. Jesus and his disciples, they started to feel the heat from the, the religious uh, folks of that day. John the Baptist had gotten into some trouble. And now Jesus was following in his footsteps. And he was baptizing lots of people and more than even John had done. And That didn't set well with the Jewish spiritual leadership because they believed if you were going to deal with sin, you needed to come to the temple, you needed to present your sacrifice, you needed to wash in the ceremonial water at the temple, and you needed to pay them to accomplish it. So when John and Jesus started washing people's sins away in the waters of baptism, it didn't set well with them. So Jesus started to feel the heat a little bit, and he and his disciples head back to Galilee to home, if you will, and on the way... Jesus decides to make a slight detour through Samaria. Now, Samaria was notoriously a place where Jews did not go because of the animosity that was between the Samaritans and the Jews birthed out of generations of racial tension and hatred. He gets to a town called Sychar, and in the town of Sychar is a well. It's known as Jacob's well, and yes, it's the same Jacob who married both sisters and had a pretty messy life. And I just think that's just a perfect backdrop for Jesus inserting himself into another messy situation. He stops at the well, and John points out that it was noontime when Jesus stopped at the well, and I think that's very significant as well. Jesus stops at noontime, and he rests, and he sends his disciples into town to buy food. And ironically, while they're gone, and Jesus is resting at the well, a woman from the town comes to draw water from the well. Now, you need to understand the customs were such that women from the town came to draw water at the well, but most would come early or they would come late. They didn't come in the middle of the afternoon when the sun was at its highest point and it was hot. They came in the cool of the day, but this woman comes in the middle of the day at the same time that Jesus happens to be sitting there. And at this point, we don't know why she's coming at noon, but she comes at an inconvenient time, an inopportune time, and Jesus is there. And as she approaches, he asked her to give him a drink. Now, because of the racial tension between the Jews and Samaritans and really the class distinctions of the time between men and women, they were evident at this time, and she's even shocked that Jesus spoke to her. John points out her response in verse 9. She says, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. 
why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus starts to drop some clues as to who he is. He tells her that if she only knew the gift, the present that God had for her and who he was, she'd be asking him for living water. She thinks he's still talking about the well and wants to know how he intends to draw up water with no rope or no uh, pot. And she even thinks he's disparaging Jacob, who she saw as a relative, and they, that, they were at his well. And he's acting like his water's better than Jacob's water. And she's getting all fired up about that. And then Jesus replies to her, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within him, giving them eternal life. Now, if you were there, I believe that would be the moment. And I try to put myself in the Bible when I read it. I, tell my, I told my group this past semester, one of the things I've asked God to do is let me imagine myself in the, in the moment, in the Bible, when I read the Bible. I think it's important because if you can put yourself there, it just comes to life. And so in my mind, if this is, this is the moment, if you, had a, if you had a camera out, if you had your iPhone out and you wanted to take the perfect Instagram picture, it would be this woman's face at this moment as the look of recognition comes across her face. I think this is what she was thinking. Wait a minute. This guy is offering living water. Water that if I drink, I will never be thirsty again. Water that if I have it, I will never have to come to this well at inopportune times so I don't bump into other women from town who look down on me, who talk bad about me, who know my dirt, who treat me like I'm dirty. I don't have to be hit on by men who think I'm loose or easy. I don't have to be confronted by my past, by my mistakes. I can live without ever having to come here to the center of town I could present the perfect moment when I got the living water that took care of all my other issues. Notice her excitement. This is, it's almost desperation. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. But notice Jesus. See, what I love about Jesus is he's unwilling to give you a present without getting in the middle of your present. Jesus says, hey, I got a gift for you, but I need you to go get your husband. Notice she's trying to put the best foot forward. She's putting the best picture out there possible, the Instagram-worthy profile pic. She looks at him and she says, I'm single. I ain't got a husband. I don't know if she thought he was hitting on her or what, you know, like going around about way to find out if she was married. Hey, go get your husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. Actually, it's a little messier than that. You've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the one you're living with now. You have spoke the truth. <clears throat> now, the woman starts to realize that there's something different about this guy. She immediately gets real spiritual. They have a discussion about worship. She tells him how about how the Messiah is going to come. And she's launching in with her best self, man. She's going all in. And then Jesus opens the revelation envelope and says in verse 25, I am the Messiah. And upon revelation of this, notice what she does. John chapter 4, verse 28 and 29 says, The woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. 
It goes on to say Jesus stayed in that village for two days, and before he leaves, the people are declaring that he is the Savior of the world. Why? Because Jesus refused the perfectly wrapped present. Instead, he got in the middle of the messy one, the messy present. The woman at the well had been married five different times and was living with a sixth who wasn't one of the five. And Jesus said, yep, it's messy, but there's something there I can use. Don't let people count you out because you have a complicated past or your present is a hot mess. So many times we disqualify ourselves because our present is cluttered with all sorts of mess. How many times have you allowed your situation to disqualify or dissuade you from accomplishing or even believing that God could ever accomplish anything in you in this moment? We eliminate ourselves from contention because our present is just too messy. Now, don't get me wrong. I know people can get bogged down in their past and people can get locked up really by things that have happened to them in the past. But if we'll be honest, we can many times accept that God will forgive our past as long as our present is perfect. As long as we clean it up, look the part, put everything together, we can accept that God will forgive our past. We come to God, we got it together, right? Everything immediately changes. Our lives straighten out. Suddenly the promises of God are on us and our bank accounts are flush with funds. Our marriages are suddenly perfect. Our mental state becomes clear. We become model citizens. Uh, we never make mistakes. Our kids become perfect angels. Even our pets stop barking randomly and annoyingly. Life becomes amazingly perfect because we came to know God in the present. Can you say amen? No, it's not true. No. If it was, we couldn't get people to not come into this place. They'd be like knocking down the doors Monday through Sunday. But that's the present that we present to the world, to others. And we wonder why people get frustrated and think God is displeased with them when they come to know Jesus and it doesn't work quite that way. Pastor talked a couple weeks ago about genie Jesus, you know, rub the, rub the lamp, abracadabra, all your life is fixed. That's what we want. But that's not the present that we live in, is it? Some days I don't want to get out of bed. Some days I don't want to see anybody. Sometimes my life is filled with guilt and shame and issues and problems and worries and fights and mess. Amen. And in the midst of my mess, I many times look at the perfection that is presented in the lives of others. And I disqualify myself from God's plan because I assume that my life is too messy for him to work in my present. Oh, we accept that he redeemed our past. And we can accept that he has secured our future. But we can't appreciate the moment that we are in because our present is too messy for us to ever believe that Jesus could be in the middle of it. Notice the woman at the well. She tells Jesus, oh, this well, it was Jacob's well. and It was good enough for him and it's good enough for me, the past. And in these mountains, there will be a time when we will worship because Messiah is going to come, future. But Jesus is reaching for her right now. In this moment, right now, the present, in spite of the mess that she's made of it, in spite of the ugliness that she'd rather hide from, in spite of all the issues, Jesus gets down into the mess to reveal his greatness to her. You know, as far as I can tell, she's the first person that Jesus told, I am the Messiah. In the middle of the messiest of situations, she says, I am, he says, I am him. I've seen your perfect Instagram story. I've seen your filtered life. 
I've seen your presentation. Now I want you to be honest about the messy present. See, you've got perfect presentation. Every corner's perfect. The tape is in the right place. But let's be honest, that's not the real you. And that's not real life. It's great till it's not. It's perfect till it falls apart. It looks amazing till it doesn't. You seem to have it all together till you don't. And where do you turn when it gets messy? Where do you go when the present is no longer what you've presented? Where do you turn when your present gets messy? So many times we fall apart when it falls apart, don't we? But I serve a God today who's not impressed by your perfect presentation, nor is he intimidated by your messy present. He steps in when life gets messy, and he does his best work in the middle of our mess. See, our problem, if I'm being honest, is that we treat Jesus like we treat guests when we invite them over. You know what I mean? Oh, man, you invited Johnny and Susie to come over today? Oh, man. We immediately fly, do the flight of the bumblebee around our house like crazy people putting everything in its place, sweeping, mopping, vacuuming, cleaning toilets, wiping down countertops, doing dishes, stuffing things in closets, packing our drawers, and praying nobody opens them or that we ever need those things again because we will never find them. All in an effort for Johnny and Susie to believe that the presentation is actually your present. We want to perfect everything for Jesus. We want our present to be perfect. And then we invite Jesus into the middle of it. But the reality is, if we could make our present perfect, we would have no need of him. And so he wages into your messy present and provides us with hope for a better day. Maybe you're here today, and if you're being honest, your present is a wreck. You don't even know how you got here this morning. You are consumed with fear, doubt, feelings of inadequacy, guilt, remorse, regret. You didn't even even want to get out of the bed today. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how you can get involved around Life Church and lots of ways you can begin serving in the body of Christ. But I also know that whenever we talk about things like that, there are many people who immediately begin to question whether God would ever want to use them, could use them, because they have too much stuff in their mess. So many times we assume that we are unqualified to be used of God, to even to be welcome in his presence because our present is messy. It's cluttered with missteps, mistakes, and missing pieces. Our present is cluttered with missteps. Many times we don't get it right, do we? We get things out of order. We do things out of season. We just mess it up. We are human. We sometimes, not always intentionally, but we sometimes do it all wrong. We have God's perfect plan, every step lined out perfectly, and then there's our plan, right? His plan, we think in our minds, looks like a Straight shot from point A to point B, right? That's God's plan. But when we do it, it looks like the path a kid would take from his bedroom to the bathroom, which may or not, may not include going out of a window, traversing the backyard without stepping on a blade of grass, coming in through the front door, and climbing over all the furniture before going to the bathroom. That's what our plan usually looks like, doesn't it? We rarely do things in a simple path. We have misstep after misstep after misstep. Our lives are filled with an adventure of missteps. And therefore, we feel like we don't qualify. They give you character. I want you to know that. Every misstep, every wrong turn, 
Every time you did it the wrong way, it gives you character and experience, and it provides you a wealth of God's grace to be able to share with somebody else when they're trying to traverse their journey from point A to point B. You can make it through your missteps. I think sometimes we also disqualify ourselves because of mistakes in our mess. Oh, we've all got them. If you know someone who tries to act as if they don't, pretty good chance they're hiding them in the closet. There's a reason why they call them skeletons in the closet. Amen? Your mistakes don't disqualify you today. They just provide amazing opportunities to try again. Jesus approached the shoreline one day after he had been risen from the grave. He was hungry. He wanted some fish. And he went there to find his disciples had returned to an old life that he had called them out of. And they weren't even being successful at it. Peter had once again been out in a boat, fished all night, hadn't caught anything. <clears throat> he had denied knowing the Lord. He'd done it three different times. And then he returned to his boat and his nets. And now he's feeling like, a failure, accomplishing nothing but wasting his time. And Jesus calls out to him from the, the shore, and Peter doesn't even recognize the Lord. And he tells him to try casting his net on the other side of the boat. And Peter tries and immediately finds fish everywhere. <clears throat> Recognition comes on his face, and he, he dives into the water running to Jesus. And I wonder what caused him to recognize Jesus. Did he suddenly, like, gain better eyesight? Did he suddenly like look and be like, oh yeah, that is, I can see it, it is Jesus. I don't think that's what it was. I think what caused him to recognize Jesus was the fact that Jesus was the only one who'd ever asked him to try again where he'd already failed. And so when you make your mistakes today, we serve a God who isn't satisfied to let you just live in your failure. He'll ask you to come right back and try it again and try it again and try it again and try again until you get it right. There was a time in my life when I truly believed that failure would define me. I had made so many mistakes that I thought that my entire life would def be defined by the laundry list of failure. I never would have dreamed that God would use that mountain of failure, my mess that I never thought I'd get out of, to set me up to try one more time, to give me hope and a future and a plan for something better. We aren't defined by our mess. We aren't defined by our missteps. We aren't defined by our mistakes. And <clears throat> we don't have to be defined this morning by our missing pieces. Missing pieces. We look around at others. We look at the perfect pictures on social media, and we naturally compare our present with someone else's. But unfortunately, we're not comparing it to their present. We're comparing it to their presentation. And the glaring missing pieces seem so obvious. Well, if I had that husband or that wife or their children or if I had that job or their car or if we owned that home or if I had their credit or if I hadn't made those mistakes, I'd have all these pieces filled. But instead, I'm left with a big old incomplete. My puzzle in it isn't finished because the vital pieces are lost. I lost that relationship. I lost that loved one. I gave up my purity, my integrity, my hope, my chance. I compromised. I didn't pursue the right opportunity. I have got all these missing pieces. Any of you ever put together a puzzle and got to the end and realized you were missing one piece? Do you notice the picture or do you notice the whole? It's not enough that I got broken pieces, God, but my family's suffering. My life is different than what was intended because it's not just broken, but vital pieces are missing. And if you compare your picture to what's on the box, the missing pieces are so evident. But instead... If you'd stop comparing it to the perfect picture in your head and compare it to the picture of God's plan, what can God do with the pieces that you have left? 
Yeah, you got a few missing pieces, but guess what? God's not hindered by your missing pieces, and you don't have to be either. God can put it all together and create something beautiful and broken out of a marred pieces of your present. It may look different than you intended. It may not measure up to the picture you got when you compare it to somebody else's presentation, but it's a pretty good chance that presentation is filtered anyway. Instead, if you'll begin to let God shape the broken pieces of what you have, He'll build a beautiful mosaic that may start off messy, but your present will take shape into something that God will get glory out of. And your present will start to make some sense. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. I love this. The Apostle Paul, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that the stuff in my present... It pales in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed in me from the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so today, you may look at your messy present. You may see the missteps. You may see the mistakes. You may see the missing pieces. But I'm here to bring hope today because you, just like the woman at the well, Jesus steps right into your mess and he is working things today for your good because you love him and whether you realize it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you believe it or not, are called according to his purpose. And the pain for your present sufferings will pale in comparison to the glory of his presence being revealed in you, living in you, working through you and touching the lives of others that are around you in your life in your present, not some far off distant future, in this moment, right now, today. And then Paul says in verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? I don't care what others have said. I don't care what they said about you. I don't care what others may think. I don't care what they said about me. I know the name they put over my life. I know what others said about me, but I also know what Jesus calls me. And he says I'm forgiven. He says I'm his child. He says that I am loved. He says that I'm complete in him. And today, in the midst of my messy present, in the midst of my mess, he sees somebody that while others meant things for evil, he means them for good. My life doesn't have to be defined by my missteps, my mistakes, or my missing pieces. Oh, no. My life will be defined by the one who is stepping into my messy present. And what he says about me is the voice I need to be listening for. And if he is for me, it really does not matter who may be against me. If our worship team would come. The Apostle Paul, to me, seemed to always be aware of his situation. You ever met somebody that they just seem clueless, like they don't even realize what they're in the middle of? That's not the Apostle Paul, okay? He always knew what was going on. And when he was in prison, he was quick to point out that execution might be tomorrow. He, he seemed to be aware of all of his shortcomings. If I live, if I die, it's, you know, we're, we're working it out. Uh, I love where he begins to describe his fight against the flesh and how he acknowledges that when he looks at himself, he sees a man who is flawed, who comes up short, who when given opportunity to do what is right, he many times does the opposite. I, I, I identify with that, do you? 
uh, I, I, the thing I'm supposed to do, I don't do, and the thing that I want to do, I end up doing the opposite. I mean, that's some powerful stuff. He seems to acknowledge that life gets messy. And today, I want you to understand that you're not alone in your mess, nor are you the only one who has a messy present. <clears throat> life is messy. And anybody who sells you on a perfect life is selling a bill of goods that they cannot back up because life is filled with a series of unfortunate events. And many times we make it through them because not because we're alone, but because God is with us in our mess. Because those things that make our life messy are also working in us to bring about a much better future than we could have ever gotten on our own had we not gone through the mess. And this is what the Apostle Paul says when he was describing a really messy present. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. You see, the truth of this, of this whole thing is that grapes have to be crushed in order to make wine. Diamonds are formed from coal that went under some pressure. Olives are pressed to release oil. Seeds grow in darkness. And when you feel crushed, under pressure, pressed, or in darkness, Remember that you are in a powerful place of transformation. If God is for you, who can be against you? The pressure may come, but that's a powerful place to be in because God is transforming you. You just need to trust the process. He is growing you. He is perfecting you. He is working in you a whole lot better thing than what you could have ever dreamed up on your own, even in your mess. I told you at the beginning that the Bible is filled with people whose lives got messy. The book of Daniel tells us about three young men who, making a stand for God, placed them in the middle of a pretty messy situation. The Bible says that their mess placed them in the crosshairs of a king who declared that they had to die. Not just any death, but a death where they were to be burned alive in a furnace. He bound them with ropes and had them tossed into the fire and he stoked that fire so hot before he put them in there that the people that threw these three men in died from the heat from the furnace. It was messy. Now, I don't know how long it took. I don't know when the king decided to go back and take a look at his handiwork. But when he finally went and looked inside the furnace, he saw something pretty amazing. He knew he had thrown three in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But when he looked, he saw a fourth one in the fire. And the things that were designed to bind them had been burned up by the very fire that was meant to kill them. And then when they came out of the fire, the Bible says they couldn't even smell the scent of smoke on their clothing. I know that was a miracle because if you've ever been around a campfire or somebody smoking a cigarette, you can't walk away without having that all over your clothes. These guys were in a furnace and didn't even smell like smoke. Because the one that was in the fire with them 
was the same one that sat down by a well and talked to a woman with a catastrophe of relationship issues. And he's the same one who's willing today to step into your mess to make something amazing out of it. And the things that you have qualified as things that will disqualify you, the things that you have decided, they have no way possible they, can, they, they are going to keep you from accomplishing God's plan are the very things that God in the midst of the fire will burn off of you and allow you to rise to a great newness in him. And today, if you'd all stand with me, if your present looks messy, and whose doesn't, you don't have to face it alone. I heard one man say that Jesus turns tests into testimonies. He turns messes into messages. I don't know about that, but I do know this. He turns struggle into triumph. He creates beauty from ashes. He creates joy from mourning. He brings peace in the middle of anxiety. We sang a song this morning that said he turns graves into gardens. He still joins us in the fire. He still gives living water to those who are thirsty. You aren't alone in your mess today, and you don't have to stay alone. You can come and find Jesus and know him in a way that we never dreamed possible. And so today I'm going to open this altar, but this is not a normal altar call. Today I'm calling for imperfect people. If you're perfect, I'm just going to give you permission. You can leave now. Get your cup of coffee on the way out. Enjoy the trip. You'll have an easy lane to get out. There will be very few people walking out with you. But for the rest of us, I'm calling for imperfect people. Because I serve a God who loves imperfect people. He loves people who recognize that their life might be messy, but he's not afraid to come into the middle of their mess. And so I'm going to open this altar today for people that are willing to come, because this is what I know. You see, a lot of times we want to come to God when we've got it all right, right? I, I, I stopped smoking, I stopped drinking, I stopped hanging out with people that smoked and drank, and I stopped chewing, and I stopped cussing. Now I'm ready for Jesus. No, 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 no. Now, if you've already stopped doing those things, I don't encourage you to go down to the liquor store and liquor up and then come. But what I am encouraging you to do to recognize is that I can't get good enough to get to God. Matter of fact, if I get good enough, I'm not even welcome. Because the writer of Hebrews says that I am encouraged to come to the throne of grace to obtain help and find grace in the time of need. If I ain't got a need, I ain't welcome at the throne. And then Jesus, in one of his greatest declarations, looked out at the people and he said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're well rested and you don't have nothing going on, you're not invited to come. But today, this altar is open for imperfect people, weary people, tired people, people that are living amongst the mess, people that are tired of struggling, people that are ready to turn it over to God, people that need some help in their moment of weakness. That's who this altar call is for today. And I want to invite you to come. You can stay in your seats or you can come to this altar, but today is your day. This is your time to declare, I need help in my moment of mess, God. I need your help today. This altar is open today as they sing.
mess he offered her a gift he offered her a drink from a well that would become a wellspring of living water within her a drink that if she could tap into it would allow her to find a quenching of her spiritual thirst forever the reality is when we come to know God he quenches that spiritual thirst within us because his presence comes to dwell in those places that make us hungry for things that are not of God and so today if you don't know Jesus I want to encourage you this is an opportunity for you to connect to him for maybe the very first time and say, Father, I, I surrender myself to you today. So let's pray together right now in this moment to pray together that people would come and surrender themselves to the Lord together. Father, I thank you for this moment. Lord, help us to recognize that we are in this moment, the present, right now, and you are with us in this moment. And God, there may be people in this room who have never talked to you one time in their life, God, and today... I'm inviting them to surrender themselves to you. Lord, I ask you to come alongside of them right now. Let them feel your presence. Just as you came to the woman at the well in the middle of the day when she was there all alone at the most inopportune time, you came to her. I pray today you'd come alongside someone in this moment who feels like their life is a mess and they are unworthy of your presence, God. Let them know that you are for them, you are with them, you are not against them, and you are here today to touch them and strengthen them. Lord, we give, give you ourselves today in this moment. Lord, let your presence do its perfect will in our lives. And we'll thank you for it and bless you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen. Now, sometimes if I'm being honest, when life gets messy, and it invariably will, anyone who says life doesn't happen to all of us is lying to you. Cars break down, people get sick, money gets tight, relationships end. The present gets messy for everybody. 
And when it does, I sometimes begin to question whether God is really there. Anybody ever been there? It's okay. I know we're in church and he is here, but it's okay to admit you question sometimes. I'm going to the well in the middle of the day because I don't want to bump into people who might know me and know how messy my life is. But God shows up and he reminds me of who he thinks I am. And I want to help you remember today who you are even when life is messy. I want to declare some things over you today and I want you to take these home with you and breathe them, read them, think about them all week, whatever you got to do. This is what I want to say to you today. You're strong and you're mighty in Christ. You have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwelling within you. You are a weapon of righteousness in a dark world. You are not your past. You are not what you did. You are not what they think you are. You are who God says you are. And my God says you're forgiven. He says you're redeemed. He says you're free. You are not a hostage to your unhealthy thoughts. The weapons that you fight with are not the weapons of this world. They have power to demolish strongholds in your life. You have the mind of Christ directing your thoughts. You have the word of God guiding your steps. Worry is not your master. You trust in God. His peace guards your heart, guards your mind, guards your soul in Christ Jesus. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Lord is your helper. You will not be afraid. You will not be a slave to your habits. You are not a prisoner to your addiction. You have been rescued from the power of darkness and you have been brought into the kingdom of God's light. You are empowered, you are called, you are chosen. You are the masterpiece of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you. Your God will bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you can bring him glory. Your God is for you. Your God is with you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Nothing can separate you from his love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not angels, not demons, not the past, not certainly not the messy present. Not any weapon will separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You are who God says you are. The battle may rage, but I serve Jesus Christ and he wins the war. I'm telling you today, the battle may be raging right now in your messy present, but he wins the war and you're a victor because of it. All over this house, let's lift our hands and let's praise him together all over this house. Oh, we bless you, oh God.